Good morning. 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 Us in developing materials that we've been sharing uh, around the world. And just to run through some of those are, we've got in the Rain DVD set, we've already in six weeks sent out 7,500 of these, and we have more and more than just ordered another 5,000 because we just run through the first 7,500, and we've got orders to fill. We have a modern medicine, biblical technology in your brain DVD set that we ran out of, and I've got orders piled up, and we'll get a new shipment. So if you order those, and you haven't got those, uh, the shipment is coming in this week, we'll get those out this week. Uh, the Healing the Mind DVD set, we ordered another 5,000 votes, the votes have gone out. Um, the Cosmic Conflict Over God's Character Bible Study Guide uh, is fantastic. We've been getting emails from people around the world who've been studying this. It's available um, online as an Adobe file download uh, if you want the digital version as well as the print version. Um, we have the uh, Domestic Violence in the Church Bible Study Guide, which has also been getting rid of these. A lot of women around the, the, the country have been, uh, been uh, studying this and finding it very helpful. Um, and we also, um, uh, this book printed by Lola Press has come out. It's been running. Amazon.com has an academic section. I did not know that. And uh, where they break the books. This has been running number one in Adventist book sales since it's come out. And it's also getting rave reviews, fantastic reviews online. Um, the God-shaped brain uh, has been doing very well interdenominationally. It doesn't, you know, it just goes right through denominational barriers because it's about how our beliefs change our brain and the v- different views of God we hold affect us differently. And as you know, um, we have the audio version out now, and we also have the audio version of the first book. Could it be the simple? And if you know anybody with vision impairments, blind people, or any, we'll give those free to anybody with a vision impairment. So if you know that, let us know. We'll give those to you. You can send them for free. And uh, all, all of these materials we make available discounted for church groups if they want to contact us. So with that in mind, I tell you all that because um, recently, over the last months, I've received over a 1,000 emails, letters uh, from around the world, and I'm just going to share with you some of the responses we've been getting. We'd like to order another case of the DVDs. That's the, the God in Your Brain DVDs, if we might. We've uh, given out our previous case here in California. Now we're heading to Arizona and have relatives and friends there we'd like to share them with. Thought you might enjoy some feedback we've been getting here in regards to the DVDs. One woman was intrigued when I told her we found the DVDs life-changing. She watched the whole seminar in one afternoon and watched it again the next day so she could absorb the points presented. She said she now understands why we found it life-changing was very excited about the message. Another couple, on their own initiative, watched it, the DVD with a group of eight in their home. We're pretty excited about the videos, and our, uh, videos are being so well-received, and are praying that those who haven't yet viewed them will sometime in the future. Thanks for all your wonderful thoughts and, uh, put forth by your ministry. I run the English-speaking group of Seventh-day Adventists here in Freiburg, Germany, or Freiburg, Germany. Uh, we have uh, been following your Bible lessons with great interest for a few months now, and they have been cause of much deep discussion. We would uh, be extremely happy to receive any of the books, DVDs, seminars that you have available. They will be used not only for our own study purposes, but also for distribution to other English speakers and churches here in the area. Thank you for your ministry. It has meant a lot to me personally. It has changed my thinking about God and has challenged my belief systems in many respects. There are many statements from you that I'm battling with at a theological and conceptual level at minimum. I am very disappointed that many in our church are not willing to consider the perspectives that you have studied in great detail. 
It really does offer tangible answers to many of the difficult questions most of us struggle with, like, why does a loving God let innocent children die? Yes, we have our own set of lenses whereby we view God and the world around us. Our son passed away four years ago. He was three and a half years old. So we have our own battle with this question. Ironically, this experience drew us closer to God and has led us to become born-again Christians. Our study of the book of Job led us to understand there's a great battle raging in the realm that we cannot, cannot see but are intrinsically part of. We understood the great controversy even before we studied the book by that same title. Our studies have led us to the Seventh-day Adventist Church. We were baptized three years ago. I therefore find it difficult that in our own church the character of God is so misrepresented, non-biblical, or seen through the lens of a wrathful God. The view that God has led you brings a refreshing perspective about him that appeals to my beliefs that God is love, that he really cares for us, really wants to save us all. I also enjoy the balanced view that he created certain constructs or laws of nature that we are bound to. The law of love, if broken, breaks the circle of love and trust and therefore damages our relationships with him and others around us. I truly believe that God will, God's will is to change our hearts, to restore us to love and trust, to save us from sin while we are still at the mercy of the consequences of sin. I recognize that, that email is not the best form for these discussions, nor is my English my first language. Doing pretty good, I think. Yeah. Um, the bottom line is that I want to encourage you to continue to spread his story, the gospel of Jesus, the one that brings people closer to the real God through the Holy Spirit's ministration and through the lens of a living and loving Jesus that came to exemplify God's character on earth. I have worked through the healing of the mind and am eager to learn more. I have distributed a number of copies of your first book to church members with mixed results, I'm afraid. Would you be able to ship new DVDs to South Africa? Uh, people have been getting restful minds because of these DVD seminars, California. I received one of your copies of the three DVD seminars, and I have a hard time in trying to keep them. Several of my friends would like a copy of them. Could you send me 20 so I can pass them out to our church leaders, Massachusetts? Wow, all the DVDs are free? I don't know how you can afford it, but I would love to have all three, Maryland. I'm a juvenile prison chaplain. I work in Illinois Department of Justice, Juvenile Justice. At the request of one of our volunteers, I read your book, The God-Shaped Brain. I was challenged theologically and confronted with a lot of great meditation material. All I know for sure is that the things you speak about would do a lot to help the 165 bruised, abused, neglected, and genetically challenged male youth who reside within our razor-wired prison fences. For that reason, I'm asking that you would send me your series, God in Your Brain. I have watched God in Your Brain DVDs you graciously sent me multiple times, and I realize that your church needs to, that our church needs to know this new enlightenment about our brain and how it works. May I request again to have more copies, at least 10 of them, if there are more left available. We will use this as uh, one of the tools for church planning in our city. Thank you very much. Canada. I just received the DVDs today. Thank you so much, Dr. Jennings. Se Dr. Jennings' seminars have been such a blessing to me. I'm beginning to see God the Father as he really is, a God of love, love beyond anything our finite minds can fathom. I'm so thankful for the light about God's love that Dr. Jennings is sharing in his seminars and books. I am reading The God-Shaped Brain. What a wonderful book. I got it on Amazon. I will read it all the way through from cover to cover. It vindicates God's true character as our loving Heavenly Father, truly a God of love. I am learning so much. This message is for the last days. It should be preached in every church. So many people would turn to God if they only knew how he really is. I am grateful for this ministry and will be praying for it and that the message will be spread everywhere. God bless you all. California. Two more. I have uh, sat at the feet of some pretty impressive and godly people. Maxwell, Anderson, Stone, Elquist, Gothard are some of the names. 
These are the human heroes I have met and whom I've longed to meet again. As I re- and as refreshed and encouraged as I've been by all these and more, Tim Jennings has thrown open a window the size of a whole wall on the sunny side of the room. It's like I had cataract surgery of the mind. I'm really almost speechless. California. All three cases have arrived the last few days, and I have begun to share the DVD sets. Having the connections between scripture, science, and experience outlined so clearly makes seeking truth a freeing rather than a scary or depressing experience. For the last couple of decades, God has been leading me to find truth through scripture and my experience. Looking back now, I see that he was using science as well, but I really hadn't recognized it as part of the process. Seeing the Venn diagram model of truth incorporating all three avenues of God's revelation clearly cleared so many things up for me. I'm no longer at the mercy of those whose views take into account only one or two of God's avenues of revealing himself and his truth. How freeing that is, Oregon. So these are some of the, like I said, I've received over a thousand emails and letters so far, and I get more every day. And uh, for some encouragement. Pardon? Praise God for encouragement. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yes. We've given out 300, and we speak every day, too. We're getting emails every day. This is the message that is to Christ Object Lessons, um, page uh, uh, 311. The final message of mercy to lighten the world, or 415, excuse me. The final message of mercy to lighten the world for Christ's return is the truth about his character of love. This is the message. It's transforming, it's regenerational, it's freeing. Yeah. So thank you all, and I want to tell you this is possible because of this group. Because of you here who support us, who come every week, who uh, share and study with us, we're able to produce these materials. That And like I said, all these things we've been giving away for free. And we are now um, uh, uh, having multiple church groups interdenominational using our materials. We know that there are Baptist groups, uh, uh, community church groups, um, the, uh, the, Ang- the, uh, the diocese for the Anglican, Anglican Church of Europe has requested our materials and is using our materials. So lots of people are recognizing the power of this message and how it transforms the, not only the character but the biology as well. Tim? Yes. Next quarter, our lesson is on love rests on freedom, and the freedom rests on the law, Christ and his law. That's what the quarter is about. It'll be interesting next quarter, won't it? Yes. So, so I hope I get to teach some of those lessons, don't you? Yeah, so with that in mind, I want to tell you, I want to encourage you guys as a request to, to continue to come even when I'm out of town because what's happening, I'm getting lots of requests from church groups outside um, this local area for me to go and present these ideas to those groups. And as I go to do that, means I'm not here as often, but if I'm not here as often, sometimes the groups tend to meld away a little bit. And we want to really hold together because it's, it's, this is really kind of the engine that a allows us to produce all the things we produce and help so many people. So, all right, let's go to the lesson. Now we're doing lesson number nine in the quarterly discipleship, and the lesson title this week is Discipling the Powerful. Discipling the Powerful. And in Sunday's lesson, the first paragraph, it says, Over the long centuries, people have struggled to understand the role and function of government and how citizens should relate to it. What gives rulers the right to rule? What is the best form of government? Should people always obey their governments? If not, why not? These are just a few of a host of questions that we still wrestle with to this day. The first question, what gives rulers the right to rule? Has anyone heard of the divine right of kings doctrine that used to be taught? The divine right of kings? The divine right of kings doctrine basically says it was a theory from the Middle Ages that monarchs received their right to rule directly from God and as such could only be judged by God. There is no law, no magistrate, no uh, aristocracy, no church, no church authority that could judge a monarch. 
Only God could judge a monarch. They were above the law. This was uh, uh, this idea was particularly um, um, popular and supported by the Protestants. <laughs> the Protestants as a way of diminishing the power of the Pope over the state. See, the, tr- the, the divine right of ruler, I don't have to listen to the Pope. I, I, the Pope has no authority over me as the ruler. So this was very popular. King James I of England was a very strong supporter of this, this doctrine of divine right of kings. And he's, of course, the one who commissioned the writing of the King James Bible. Um, what do you think about this theory? It's true today with judges. Did you read in the newspaper the other day that this judge cannot be charged with sexual harassment of someone who appeared before the bench because judges can't be charged. They can't be sued. I didn't hear this. Yeah. <laughs> you can't sue the federal government. Why? See that in our presidency. I mean, that law pretty much stands with him. Well, only while he's in office. As soon as he leaves office, he can be charged. Yeah. 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 While they're sitting in office, you can't bring him, but but you have to remove them. So that the Congress has to impeach him. So there still is a process whereby he can be held accountable if the Congress removes him from office. It's a cumbersome process, but it's still a process. The divine right of kings, there was no process at all. Couldn't happen. Yeah. Um, and I think judges can also be impeached as well. So this idea, though, does not have its origins in the Bible. This divine right of kings does not have its origins in the Bible. It has its origins with Rome and the Roman emperors that were above the, the, the you know, the, the divine right to rule the Roman emperor was the, the basically divinity on earth in the eyes of the pagan Worshippers, and so this idea of the divine right of kings actually comes out of Rome. And what kind of law does Rome present? Fear. Yes, it's an imposed law. Roman law is human law. It's imposed list of rules with this totalitarian state imposing punishments for the, uh, for the breaking of those those laws. And who presents God? In this fashion, this is the, the distortion that Rome has infected Christianity with, that God runs his universe like a Roman emperor runs his government. He makes rules, and then as the ruling authority must punish the breakers of those rules because the law has no inherent problems in breaking it. He's not the designer, the builder, the creator. He's just a dictator that, that, that rules over. This is what happened when Rome infected Christianity with this idea. Historic view... Um, from the Adventist Church, this comes from View and Herald, page eight, uh, February 18, 1890. This idea that, uh, that it's, God has been represented as kind of a dictator-like. Satan accused God of requiring self-denial of the angels when he knew nothing of what it meant himself, and when he would not himself make any self-sacrifice for others. This is the accusation that Satan made against God in heaven, and after the evil one was expelled from heaven, he continually charged the Lord with exacting service which he would not render himself. Christ came to the world to meet these false accusations and to reveal the Father. This idea that God is selfish and, and not selfless. He requires everyone to serve him, but he doesn't serve anyone. This is a complete fabrication, 180 degrees opposite. God is the source of all. He's constantly giving of himself. Life, energy, love, sustenance, all stem from him constantly. Uh, uh, we wouldn't even be alive if it wasn't for his continuous sustaining power. So it's exactly opposite of the truth. And then in Review and Herald, September 8, 1897, again, I really like looking back at some of these ways the church used to view these things. It says, as one in holy office, Lucifer manifested an overbearing desire for justice. But it was a counterfeit of justice. 
which he which was entirely contrary to God's love and compassion and mercy. So he he's a justice seeker, but his form of justice is exactly opposite of God's form of justice. Anyone to take any guesses on what the same author describes as as Lucifer's description of God's justice, which is a counterfeit and actually the opposite. Anyone take any guesses on what he describes? Impose law. What? Punishment of sin. Listen to this in Desire of Ages, page 761. In the opening of the great controversy, Satan declared that the law of God could not be obeyed, that justice was inconsistent with mercy, and that should the law be broken, it would be impossible for the sinner to be pardoned. Every sin must meet its punishment, urged Satan. This is Satan's view of justice. Sin must be punished. And if God should remit the punishment of sin, he would not be a God of truth and justice. When men broke the law of God and defied his will, Satan exalted. It was proved, he declared, that the law cannot be obeyed, man cannot be forgiven, and so forth and so on. This idea, sin must be punished. Where does it come from? Satan. What does the church teach today? doesn't matter denomination. What's the common theory? God, in order to be just, must hold a trial, have evidence presented, uh, look at that evidence, make a determination, and then mete out punishment upon sinners. That's Satan's view of, of justice. And this is why the, the gospel has never gone to the world, because the gospel that's gone to the world is Rome's infection of Christian church. It's not the gospel of the first 300 years of Christianity, which is the gospel of the law of love. God built his universe to operate on parameters and harmony with his nature. In deviation from those parameters, transgressing the law is incompatible with life, the wages of which is death. And only the Redeemer, through Jesus Christ, can put us back in harmony with his design and thus transform, restore, and regenerate us, save us. It's regenerational, transformational, yes. So it doesn't really matter whether judges or kings or presidents are charged or not. Because the consequences are inherent. There's, there's still destruction to self, whether some body recognizes and, and charges them. This is well said. This is exactly well said. It doesn't matter in, to their eternal destiny whether human governments charge them or not. Why? I, I get this with, with uh, patients of mine who've been abused and molested as kids. They will often struggle with this idea of forgiving the offender who's never been caught, who's never been punished, who's never gone to, to jail. And, and, and I ask them, who do you think got, got damaged worse when you were being molested? You were the, the molester. And they all initially say, me. I was damaged worse. I said, really? I said, let's think about this. Let's pretend God could take you to heaven and, and gives you the option of one choice between two options. Option A, you, he, I'm going to send you back to the earth where you left. No changes. Your life is exactly as it's been. But I will give you a choice. You can at, choose option B. And option B is I will let you exchange lives with the person who abused you. And you get to go around abusing kids, but no one will abuse you. Whose life do you choose? 100% of my patients choose their own life. And I say, Why? If, it, if, you, if you got the short end of the stick, it was so much worse for you. Why would you choose your own life? And then the light goes on. They realize, while someone does evil against us, they can hurt us physically, they can hurt us financially, they can hurt us emotionally, they can hurt us psychologically, they can't sear our conscience, they can't warp the character, they can't produce guilt in the soul. But when we do evil against another person, we damage something much more precious. We damage our own character, our own soul, our own psyche 
our own individuality is warped. And over the course of time, Paul says in the New Testament that the conscience becomes seared. Or Peter says, over the course of time, they become like brute beasts, creatures of instinct. Their higher faculties, their godliness of character is, is erased and destroyed by perpetual sin. And so this cannot be avoided. Even if the human governments never catch them, never punish them with human law, what's happening in them is a natural law, the way we're designed and built. Um, the law of sowing and reaping, you reap what you sow. From the, uh, the good within man, good comes forth. And from the evil within man, evil comes forth. That's why it says in Galatians, those who sow to the carnal nature from that nature will reap destruction. Not from God. From that very nature will reap destruction. See, deviation from God's law is incompatible with life as the designer constructed it to operate in this universe. And only through him can life be restored back to his original design. That was Christ's mission to restore us back to his original design. So Satan presents a God who inflicts punishments for disobedience. This is false justice. This is a justice that stems from imposed law. This is a justice that human beings can do because human beings can't create. We cannot build. the. But God operates on a different plane. He constructs, he builds, he designs, he creates the very fabric of the cosmos, the protocols upon which all nature operates. His laws are not imposed rules, but the design parameters that life itself exists upon. Thus, God's justice is the justice of restoration, healing, and recreation. But Satan alleges God's law is like ours, and he works like we do. But Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. It's quite contrary. But when we think about divine right of kings, this idea that rulers are not subject to law, what Christie is pointing out, they're still subject to laws of health, aren't they? Still subject to laws of gravity, aren't they? Still subject to the laws of God's moral law. And when you deviate from it, it destroys your character and ultimately unfits you for eternity. You can't avoid the law. One of the ways I I say this to my, my patients is, you can never avoid the truth. You can only delay the day you deal with it. Deal with it now. You can deal with it under the umbrella of God's grace and experience transformation of character, healing, renewal, and eternal life. But deal with it, uh, uh, put it off and delay and delay and delay. You can delay to the point that, that you seared and destroyed the faculties God has given you that respond to the spirit of truth, spirit of love, and no amount of truth and love has any impact on you anymore. And then you deal with that truth on the day when God unveils his life-giving glory and all truth is revealed, and the great panorama in the sky, and, you, and your own character is revealed for what it really is, and you can't hide from yourself anymore. What a horrible day, and weeping and gnashing of teeth that will be for those people who have pretended in their own minds that they were righteous when the truth comes bearing in, and they see themselves for what they really are. Those parents who have molested their kids and have denied they've done anything wrong their whole life, when they actually have full awareness of what they've done to their own children, and not only full awareness of their own acts, but full awareness of the pain and suffering that those acts have caused on others when they can no longer hide from the truth. Yes, this is not an infliction. This is unremedied sin in the sinner destroying the character, the mind, the soul. They cannot live, and they beg for the rocks and mountains to hide them. In fact, because kings could not, de- could not live outside the law... Their violation of the law of liberty. Remember the law of liberty we talked about and described in the book. 
other places. Their violation of the law of liberty, their coercion and abuse of, of their subjects ultimately result throughout history in rebellion and loss of their throne. Because they could not be above the law. The law ultimately, their breaches of it, caused their downfall throughout history. And in fact, if a ruler would have understood God's laws of design protocol, operated upon it, and sought to promote the autonomy, the freedom, the health, the happiness of the subjects, might they have actually been loved rather than overthrown? The lesson asks, what form, what is the best form of government? Any thoughts about that? Man, that's, that's, that's so good, Russell. Did you hear what Russell said? I was going to, you know, hopefully we'd have a little discussion before we got there, but, but that's good, Russell. That's exactly, my view as well. Self-government in harmony with God's design. And Galatians, the last fruit of the Spirit, when the Spirit has his way, working in your life, restoring God's image in you, get certain traits of character, certain fruits, the last fruit of which is called self-control or self-government. The Greek word is enkratia, and means within, krat, is exercise authority, like democrat, autocrat, okay? It's self-governance. We are self-governing individuals. We do not become robots with God's hand inside your head, controlling every movement you make. God restores us, and thus think about this form of government. His government is the government which, it's the new covenant, the new government, not this earthly thing, not the thing that the Jews said, everything the Lord said we will do. No, the new covenant, where does the law get put? It's put in here. We are recreated with the operating system of God's design, regenerated within the believer, where we love God and love others more than self, and we are self-governed on that protocol. That's the government. And so think about a universe, a world in which every person loves you more than they love themselves. Every person would rather die than do anything to harm another person. This is, this is the new heaven and new earth. This is what it will be. This, the, it's, the new heaven and new earth will not be safe because God has an angel with a flaming sword on every corner monitoring what people do. That is not why it will be safe. It will be safe because it will only be filled by people who have had the law regenerated within the heart that they are self-governed on God's principles and motives. That they love others more than themselves. That's why it will be safe. You can trust everyone. Everyone can trust you. Yes, Dean. In the image of God. In the image of God, yes. In God's image. So, back to the God-shaped brain. What God image do you hold? By beholding, we become changed. We actually assimilate. Our neural circuits reach a change. Our brain rewires based on the God we worship. Worship a dictator God. And what do we become? Dictatorial. And thus, this is the common view of Christianity. It doesn't matter denomination. And what do the data show? No difference in domestic violence rates in Christian homes and the, and the non-Christian homes. Think that through. How can it possibly be people who accept Jesus Christ as their Savior, turn the other cheek, do good to your enemies, all these types of things, bless those who curse you. Uh, how could it possibly be that people who accept Jesus and his methods could abuse their own family in, in the same rates as the non-Christian world? Other than they've accepted a false God construct. And they must, and in fact, what the data shows, for women it's no different. Same rates. For men, it's actually two to four times higher rates of abuse in a Christian home than a non-Christian home. How can that be? Of men, yeah. That, that rate is still less than the total rate of women, but the rate of men being abused is two to four times higher in a Christian, by a Christian wife than a non-Christian wife. How can that be? 
Because when you worship a dictator God who must punish disobedience, then when you have a disobedient spouse, the righteous thing to do is to punish them. They must be punished. This is how you can burn people at the stake in the name of God. Yes? How do you reconcile what we're sharing here? I mean, this lesson's on Romans 13. I mean, a, a good part of it. How do you reconcile verses 1 through, say, 5? Well, perfect. That, that, you're right on time. It's the next thing in my notes. Read Romans 13, 1 through 7. So why don't you read Romans 13, 1 through 7 for us? Let every soul be subject to the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. Powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resists the power, resists the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror to God, or to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is the minister of God to thee for good, but if thou do that which is evil, be afraid. For he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Wherefore you must, you must needs be subject not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. For this, uh, for this cause pay you tribute also. For they are God's ministers, attending continually upon this very thing. Render therefore to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Did, did, did everybody follow that? And that's King James, isn't it? Yeah, that's, that's, for me, that's Old English. Did everybody follow it okay? Sounds different if you read it in one of the more modern ones. But the idea is basically God sets up governments. The, sec, uh, the verse uh, 1, it says, um, The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against authorities rebelling against what God has set up. Um, are all governments and all government leaders set up by God? Did God set up Adolf Hitler? Did God set up Stalin, Hussein, Pol Pot, communism? Are these set up by God? But, but the scripture says very clearly the authorities that exist have been established by God. You don't believe the Bible? So how do we answer this? This, this is actually used, this text was used by Hitler and by others to tell people, you shouldn't rebel against us because we're in charge, therefore God set us up. If you're a Bible believer, you have to support us. Pay your taxes to us, support us, promote our doctrines. So how do you answer this? And they might even say, and Jesus himself, look at Jesus. Uh, the Roman Empire, that was a very moral empire, very Christ-like empire, wasn't it? No, slavery, abuse of all kinds. Um, gladiators killing in the arenas. I mean, no human respect at all. They would go in and wipe out, I mean, just kill, kill. Did, did you see Jesus opposing the Roman Empire? He said, give to Caesar what Caesar's. Hey, so why should we oppose these governments? That's all he said. He said, render to God that which is God's. That's right. Render to Caesar which is Caesar and God which is God's. That's right. Sets them up and take them down. He sets them up and take them down, so why should we vote? We'll let God vote in the voting booth for us. He set them up. He's taking them down, right? How do you understand these verses? This is very critical. It goes to how you understand God. How does he work? How does he operate? Does God personally uh, set, and, and some people believe this, that God personally selected Adolf Hitler to go into, to, he wanted He wanted him there, that God put him there. 
got personally selected, Stalin, got personally selected and put in power of these people, that God is doing this with his divine power from heaven and, and protecting them and allowing them to go for a certain time. God is doing this. In God's government, it revolves around love, whereas someone like Hitler or Stalin and that, it's a, it's a coercion. It's a, it's a government that's based on either you, you love me or you, or you follow me or else. So, so, so contrast that. So that's, that's not God's government, follow me or else. What is God's method? Love and freedom. Yeah, love, freedom, and truth. Truth, love, and freedom. Is that his methods? Truth, love, and freedom. Yes. So if he operates in those methods and someone is a liar and a deceiver, let's pretend that the local pastor's brother is the head elder, and his head elder one day he gets up to the church and says, church, I I need you to pray for my brother because I love him very much, but I've discovered that he's been embezzling from the church. And I need you to pray for his repentance and he'll turn the money back. And the pastor hasn't taken a penny. Not one cent. The pastor gets up in front of the church and declares his innocence. I haven't taken a penny. Is it all settled now? Lucifer, head elder in heaven, gets up, says, God is this, that, and the other thing. God declares his innocence. It's all done now, right? How can possibly, once lies are told, how does... The, the, the person who's been lied about get exonerated. My way's better than God's ways, Luther says. How do you, how do you know? Well, and, and when Lucifer started his allegations in heaven, what evidence was there? If you look back at the life of Lucifer, the Bible says that he was perfect and righteous in all his ways till the day evil was found in him. Perfect till the day evil. So if you're an angel in heaven, you're looking back over the life of Lucifer, what do you see? Perfection. What are you looking to? So what does God allow? God's method, truth. He, he presented the truth. He presented it in love. And then he left freedom. So let's see. Let's watch. And on earth, does he, does he control the decisions we make? When you go in the voting booth, does he control who you vote for? No. And so if we value the methods of the world, if we've been seduced to believe that, 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 that the worldly methods are honorable and holy and, and righteous and we want to practice those methods and that's the lenses we're looking at the world through, then what leaders will we be attracted to? Godly leaders or worldly leaders? Worldly leaders. Does God use his divine power to prevent us from choosing leaders that, that speak to our hearts? because we've been seduced into the world. I don't think so. And he allows it to happen for what purpose? Because what would happen if he came in and said, look, this is not the leader you want, and I'm going to set up my government because my government's better. You can't have a choice here. Would everybody go, thank you, God, for saving us from Hitler? If God would have intervened prior to Hitler's rise, as he's rising, before all the history is out, is unfolded, before all the events happen, and he uses his power and, and, and arbitrarily refuses to allow, and a, a divine angel comes from heaven and says, you can't have Hitler, I'm protecting you. Would most of the people appreciate that? And what would Lucifer have said? See, he knows his way's better, and he doesn't want to see how good it's going to be if, 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 if you let him really, he's trying to take your freedom from you. He's a controller, just like I said. So what happens when Hitler comes to power? God lets it unfold. God's law of freedom, law of liberty, it sets up under the umbrella of God's sovereignty, but not with God actively making it happen by his direct will. Anybody uncomfortable with that? 
Yes. When the Jews chose Saul, God actually said to them, you sure you want this king? Because if you get a king, it's going to be this. He's going to take your, your, the best of your youth. He's going to take your horses. He's going to take your money. I mean, he warned them. Yeah. But at the end of the day, they said, nope, we want a king. And he said, okay. So there we have an example from history where God tried to warn them from it, and they still insisted on going this way, and he let it out play out. And what happened? All types of abuses. God wasn't choosing. Other, he did choose the first two. But as far as we can tell, he didn't choose the rest of them directly. Yes? I can't find the Bible verse. I cannot remember it. I know it's in Psalms that I always look at it because it says that the earth and everything in it is God's. But he has given the earth to the sons of men. When he has given us the earth, that means that we are the ones that are in charge. Even though he it's really his, but he will let us go and unfold our doings. And you can actually, I don't know that particular passage where to find it either, but even in Genesis where he gave Adam sovereignty and told him to, you know, govern over, there's the, there's the text there as well. Yes. So maybe the verse in Romans is talking about God setting up governments by giving us the ability to govern ourselves, giving us the freedom and choice to do that. And, and the purpose is for our instruction. Parents, how many times have you tried to protect your children from something? But they absolutely insisted, and they would not learn from your, your education as you tried to educate them. They would not learn. And they insisted, and they rebelled, and they were becoming angry at you, and they, and they were becoming hostile, and they began to think that you were, were a control freak, and you were trying to keep goodness from them. And at some point, even if it was eating three extra pieces of pie that you knew was going to make them sick, you said, fine, eat the three extra pieces of pie, and then later, I got a tummy ache. They learned a lesson, didn't they? How, many, how, how, how much of this is because what God wants cannot be legislated, it cannot be coerced, it cannot be forced. He wants our love and our affection and our trust. And trust can only be earned by evidence over time. Uh, Lori. Um, we've mentioned some bad governments, but it seems to me that even the best government is not God's government. And that's why we, Russell already said the best government. Right. Yes. The best human government. The best earthly government yeah. is still not equal to, you know, God's government. He, he governs in a whole different way than any earthly government can. And it serves a different function here on this earth as an earthly government. But how many have taken and constructed a heavenly scenario that puts God just as a huge, power, all-powerful magistrate in the sky? In fact, I know one preacher in the local area who describes God as the policeman in the sky. He's the policeman in the sky who is constantly monitoring breaches of his law, writing out heavenly citations, and if you don't get the proper payment from the heavenly blood sacrifice paid to your account, then he will be required by justice to punish you. Do you see how Roman that is? Does it, you can take law, and you understand it as a design protocol, and you can still have judgment, but doctors, when they examine their patients, they're looking for every defect. They don't want to overlook any defect. They want to find everything that's wrong. And they make a diagnosis, and that diagnosis, or judgment, we call that judgment a diagnosis. And when they make the diagnosis, then they also come with another judgment. Their judgment is an intervention, a therapeutic treatment. What do we do now that we found this wrong? How do we, that's why David says, search me and see the wicked way in me, O Lord. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Judge me and heal me. Not judge me and punish me. It all depends. You see design law, you see heavenly physician. Impose law, you see a heavenly magistrate. Which way do you see God's law? Russell. 
You know, when I read Romans 13, 1, um, I wondered if Paul was talking about God's law itself or the, the precepts of God's law itself. It says, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The only, well, what law did God establish? He, he, he created in harmony with his own law of love. Yeah, I, I certainly like that. If you see it this way, then the passage makes perfect sense. Other than he goes on to talk about paying taxes and, and, and obeying the human, human authorities. Second paragraph says, Oppression and brutality characterized the Roman Empire during the Christ's time. Roman legions terrorized and subjugated citizens, nations forcibly bringing them to, into the empire. Hundreds of thousands were de- dispossessed, imprisoned, and murdered. Puppet governments were permitted by Rome, uh, were probably worse than the Rome itself. Yet interestingly enough, Jesus never advocated any kind of rebellion against this government, or, or even the withholding of taxes from it. Jesus' singular act of civil disobedience overturning the money changers' tables demonstrated the revulsion he felt regarding priestly abuses. It was not against the Romans per se. Which brings an interesting point. Um, were Jesus' actions in the temple um, civil disobedience? I, I disagree with that characterization completely. I, I, I'm with you. I, I would not characterize it as, as civil disobedience, but as theological correction. They were misrepresenting God in a service instituted by God to reveal his character. You don't, uh, Jesus intervened to set the lesson right. You don't see him going around and overthrowing Matthew's tax table. That would have been civil disobedience against the civil government. You also don't see him going around and overthrowing the pagan points of worship. And there were plenty of pagan worship centers around. He didn't go into them and overthrow their tables. Interesting, wasn't it? It only overthrew this table. This was the one set up by God, and they were misrepresenting God, and his mission was to represent God rightly. So Jesus never taught, nor did his disciples practice politics or attempts to reform earthly governments. In fact, he taught that his kingdom was not of this world. So is the church on mission or off mission when it gets involved in promoting political agendas? No. <laughs> the church should have its own political agendas, which are specific to the church. Can you expound on that for us? Okay, so if we have as a group, of, we are a voluntary association of believers, and the only kind of effective um, resistance to government has to come from people who are organized to resist or to enhance. So if we have something that we, um, I mean, the Sabbath is the one that we know about, religious liberty, we have, we are organized as a church to, in halls of justice, to continually watch for and campaign for religious liberty. And that's a valid um, political act of our church. Um. Should the church, is there a difference between the church mobilizing its members and using its resources for political agendas and Christian individuals relying on their individual relationship with God to give them wisdom in how they vote and act as citizens? Did I confuse you with that question? Okay. Is there a difference between the church mobilizing its members toward a political agenda and an individual Christian relying on their relation with God to give them wisdom in how they conduct themselves as a citizen, vote, and so forth. Yes. Yes. So, go. For instance, an individual's 
uh, if individuals in, in a political office were converted to God's methods and operated like Daniel, would those individuals bring God's principles to the way they govern? Yeah. Is that the same thing as the church seeking to take control of government? No. Are they the same? No. Is the church primary mission to seek to get the, the, the right laws passed in the land or to convert the hearts of men? Primary mission. Isn't the primary mission conversion? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Never see the apostles trying to, to get the right governor elected to Palestine. Never see that. But what happened was Christianity converted the world by converting the hearts, and it changed the world. And thus Satan had to take a different... Satan's initial attack against the church was the attack of the government against the church to physically and forcibly to try to kill it. But when that didn't work, he went to his secondary attack, and that was to infect it. Let's, all right, Christianity has converted too many hearts, so we can't kill everybody who believes in Christ. The church is taking off and converting hearts. The truth is too powerful, so let's pervert it. Let's take and infect the church, Daniel 7.25, will seek to change the law of God. No longer let them see God's law as the design protocol of love upon which life is built. Let them conceive of law as Constantine, the great emperor and dictator in the sky. A bunch of rules you keep, and a just God will have to punish breaches in the law. And so Christianity became infected with Romans' concept of law. Yes? Should the church, are you saying that the church should not stand for things like abortion and stuff like that? Not as not the church. Individually we can, but as a church we should not promote or not or Well, let's, let's go down this line. So where do, we, where do we draw the balance between granting liberty and promoting God's values and principles? When society makes laws, where do we draw that line? What laws intrude on personal conscience? For instance, what about laws that require parents to get medical treatment for their children who are under age 18, including antibiotics, even if the parents believe giving medications is against God's will? Should we force those parents to treat their kids with, with meningitis, with antibiotics, even though those parents think they should only pray? whether the children belong to the government or to the parents. Should, and you understand, in, our, in America, that law is the parents have to, and if they don't, the parents go to prison. That's where the government came down on this one, to protect this, the children from, because the children weren't old enough to make their own decisions. If you're over 18, you don't have to take the antibiotic. But if you're under 18 and doctors believe this is life-threatening, then you have, then the parents deny it, then this is child abuse, child neglect, the parents will be in prison. Children will be taken away and put in a different home. How about this one? What about law that makes it illegal to smoke hallucinogens such as peyote when it is part of a certain religious rights of to some American Indians? Should we uh, uh, pass laws and take away their religious right to smoke peyote in their religious worship services? Freedom. Well, do you know where the law came down on that one in America? That if you're a member of that religious organization, you have the right to smoke peyote. It's not a crime. But anyone else can be put in prison for smoking it. Okay, so if you're doing it in the religious worship, it's okay. They can do it in the worship, but not in the privacy of their home. If, unless they're worshiping. Okay. If they're on a vision quest, okay. which is part of their religious system, yes. Uh, there's not really many people in America that fall into that camp. What about drafting individuals into the armed forces? When they, Even if they want to be a conscientious, some people don't believe they should serve in military of any capacity. Quakers, for instance. Amish. Should we force them into the military? I mean, they're getting all the benefits of our society. Shouldn't they be, have to you know, pay their fair share? Send their sons up too? What about laws regarding marriage and adoption? Mm-hmm. 
How do we do that? What about prohibition? We tried that. This particular church was a very strong advocate in pro- for prohibition laws. We still have prohibition in the United States, just not prohibition of liquor. Prohibition of liquor is what I'm speaking about. Prohibition of many other substances. Prohibition of liquor is what I was speaking of that we tried in this country. How did it work? The reason prohibition of liquor didn't work is why? People disobeyed it. No, no, that's not why. (laughs) Of course they disobeyed. Okay, let me put it this way. Why is it the prohibition uh, prohibition of of other substances works somewhat better? How easy is it for the average person to make alcohol? How is it for the average, easy, average person to make LSD? The alcohol is a natural byproduct of fermentation of yeast. Anybody can make You really can't keep alcohol out of people's hands who want it. But some of these substances, it actually takes a little bit of chemical sophistication to make. And with those substances, you can actually prohibit it a little bit easier because it's harder to, to, to be able to access. Marijuana is a harder one to prohibit, and that's why a lot of states are moving towards legal. Now, it's the next one. What about the legislation of marijuana? Not for medicinal purposes, but just to make it legal. See, this is where we come between imposed law and natural law. You see, the state can pass laws to make cigarette smoking and alcohol and marijuana legal at certain ages. They can never pass a law to make it healthy. Never. And this is God's law. God's law are the laws upon which life are built and constructed upon. Man can only make rules and then enforce them with arbitrary consequences. What about the blue laws requiring stores to close on Sunday? Should we? Should we support those laws? Should we oppose those laws? What about restricting sales of alcohol on Sunday, restricting sales of tobacco in in your community? No tobacco sold in Collegedale. Should we sell tobacco in Collegedale? I mean, where do we draw the line and why? How about mayor of New York? We're not going to sell oversized drinks in New York anymore. <laughs> why, did he, why, why did he want that law? People are so fat. It was that, that rule, that's a rule, arbitrary rule, size of drink, arbitrary, but based on a law, the laws of health. These things are violating the laws of health, they're destructive. Same thing, the, the rules about smoking at a certain age, because you violate the laws of health. And these are, these are what rules are for. Rules are for the immature, the childish. And if you look at, at how rules work in society, I don't know if it's in my notes somewhere, the, where the laws most always come down, they come down to the dumbest and the least capable in society. Why is the speed limit the way it is on the streets out there? Is it for the cars with the best suspension, the best handling, the best cornering, the best traction, and the best NASCAR drivers? Is that where the speed limits are placed? Or the speed limits are placed for safety of those who've got the worst cars with the worst suspension, with the worst brakes, and the, and the slowest drivers. That's where it's placed. Right? And most of the laws are there, and you think of some of the restrictions we have. Why is there a warning on a coffee cup now that you might get burned? <laughs> at McDonald's. Why is that there? Somebody burned themselves on coffee and there was a lawsuit over it. And you see, a lot of these things happen and, and liberties get taken away because somebody... <laughs> okay? 
And as we gain self-governance, as we gain maturity, rules, these imposed rules that keep us safe from deviations from natural laws, God's design laws, let's call them design laws, how he built things, they become less and less necessary. When the law is written on the heart and mind, it no longer needs to be on stone. Humans can only make rules and impose them externally. God constructs reality. And we are called in the third angel's message, the first of the three, to come back to worship him who made the heavens, the earth, and the sea. We're called to designer, creator worship. Stop worshiping the dictator, which is the ubiquitous in Christianity. And if you look through history, Monday's, Monday's lesson, it says, unfortunately, some of the most powerful and influential people with whom Jesus dealt were the religious leaders of his time, many of whom were openly hostile to him. Is there any lessons in there for that? Truly, who was the greatest opposition to Christ's mission? The civil state or the religious church? Pilate was trying to get them to let him go. If you look at them throughout history, there have been states that have opposed religion, communism, Rome uh, opposed Christianity in its outset and then infected it. But throughout history, which do you think has done greater opposition to the gospel message? The civil state or the church itself? I mean, who led the crusades? Was it primarily the state or was it the church that wanted to go down and kill the Muslims? Who led the Inquisition? Was it primarily the state or the church controlling the state? Who, who prevented people from having the Bible in their own language that they could read and study? The state? I mean, down through history, just look. It's, and so, it, 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 you know, Christ said that the, the wheat and the tares grow up together. It's sad that the tares often end up in charge. And where yes. is it right now that the Christians are banding together and killing off all the Muslims in Africa? Africa. Yeah. Well, no, it's, it's in Africa. In Chad. It's in Africa. There's these, there's these, I hadn't heard that, but it's in, probably in response to what happened in Sudan, because of 10, 15 years ago in Sudan, there was women raped by the tens of thousands by Muslim men, so there'd be more children of Arab bloodlines. Raped and impregnated by tens of thousands. And now the Christians are, are killing off all the Muslims. And is that a Christian response? No. If you have a dictatorial God who you believe, and I was watching a, a video uh, yesterday and today, um, uh, from mainline Christian group. Uh, and, and, and in that video, they talk in one section of it about how the Bible clearly teaches that Christ will return in power to punish and kill the wicked. And that if you don't believe that, then you're not believing the Bible. See, they have this Roman dictator God. This is what's infected Christian thought. They, they, and, and, and the error comes down. If you argue on the, whether he will or not on this proof text or that proof text, you won't get anywhere. You have to get back to tell me about God's law. Ellen White said, founder of our church, that the war in heaven started over, questioning God's law, and in, in Great Controversy says it will end on the same thing, a question over God's law. <laughs> question them. How do you understand God's law? Do you conceive of it as a list of rules that must be enforced by the ruling authority, or do you see it as the design protocols upon which life is constructed? You do not have to beat up somebody or judge somebody if they break the law of respiration and hang themselves. Justice requires you rescue them and lift them up and, and pull the rope off their neck. That's what justice requires you to do. And that's what justice the Bible. It's always delivering the oppressed, not punishing the oppressor. 
That's our challenge. Help people see the truth. And this is what's winning. This is why this message is just really, really starting to take hold in our church and other churches. It's really just a wave going through Christianity. And this is the message. And the Holy Spirit, I think, is behind it. So... All right, we're, we're about to wind up. I think um, I, announcement at the end of class today. Um, we won't meet here next week. We get, I found out this morning when I got here that there's a fire department activity here in the city hall next week. So we won't meet here next week. And since I found out uh, 10 minutes before class began, I don't know where we're meeting next week. So watch our website. I, for those who I've got your email address, I will email you. We'll announce it on our website on our Facebook page. Somewhere we will be meeting next week. But I've got a, and if anybody knows of a facility that would be open to where we could meet uh, one time next week, let us know after class and we'll see if we can't make that happen. And, um, and then I want to recognize Lisa and Jim Foote, who have been faithful and, and wonderful members of our class, and they're moving to Florida. Is this your last week here? And this is their last week with us, and I just want to tell you, we're going to miss you, Lisa uh, and, and, and Jim let out. And if you remember when we used to be over at the uh, the sunrise service, and uh, we had a, this huge, wonderful booth where we had all this stuff. is great. Lisa helped organize all that stuff. She's been involved in a lot of the social activities we've done. And so I just want to give Lisa and Jim and thank you so much. We're going to miss you guys. All right, let's close with prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the truth about your character, your kingdom, the way you have constructed your universe to run, your principles of truth, love, and freedom. We ask now that your spirit will come and transform us, that we can live in harmony with you and be a, a true light in this world. May, bless the materials we're, we're uh, producing. Bless those who are reading and watching. May they, may their hearts burn within them as they see the truth, and may they share with others in this message. Just lighten the world, and you will come soon. We pray in your holy name. Amen. Amen.